I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, we discuss NBC squares off against YouTube TV and makes Peacock demands, diversity in soccer coverage on US TV, how our hybrid model between American sports and European soccer could be the game's ultimate blueprint, our thoughts on Thierry Henry's CBS debut, and your feedback in the listener mailbag segment. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside co-hosts Kartik Krishnayar and Kyle Fansler. All right, gentlemen, it's uh, for me, for me, the, 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 for my side of things in terms of what have, what stood out for me from this past week, I, I, I'm going to get started on this one. And, and just because it's fresh in our, in our memories, and that's the UEFA Champions League. And um, we knew a couple of weeks ago, uh, Roberto Martinez wasn't going to be featured much on CBS's coverage um, of the Champions League this season compared to last season because, I mean, it's uh, World Cup qualifying time. There's rumors about him possibly going to Barcelona as the new manager. But uh, so CBS came in and uh, announced a replacement. And lo and behold, I mean, I mean, I think it's almost impossible to try to think of somebody as big or as good as Thierry Henry. And there Thierry, Thierry Henry comes in on Tuesday and Wednesday. And I, I was just really, really blown away by his analysis. I mean, we know him as a player, of course, in terms of you know, one of the top strikers. I uh, started out as a winger uh, in the world, but um, did you guys get a chance to to kind of listen to much of his analysis? And uh, just wanted to get uh, your thoughts, uh, Kartik or Kyle. Kartik, maybe if you want to go first. Yeah, I, I thought he was quite good. By the way, ironically enough, he has served as an assistant to Roberto Martinez the last two major international tournaments for Belgium. So maybe some of Martinez's analytical skills have rubbed off on Henri uh, in terms of being a studio analyst. I thought he was quite good. I, I actually think he was making some very uh, strong uh, points in terms of an analysis and analytically looking at, at these matches. Uh, Carragher and Richards fed off him pretty well. Kate Abdo did a good job setting them up. I also have to say, I think uh, uh, in terms of CBS's coverage, I, we got a lot in terms of analysis more than usual from, from Peter Schmeichel, paired with Guillaume Balaguay uh, at Parc des Princes for uh, PSG in Manchester City. So I think they gave more analysis post-match and halftime than they typically do those two and I think pairing them together 
is really good. It was also you know, maybe an easier match to come up with some talking points from. But I, I thought uh, Tuesday, another strong day from CBS in terms of Champions League. Wednesday, I will admit, I did not watch. I was watch, keeping an eye on uh, the EFL Championship on ESPN Plus and other uh, uh other uh, broadcasters at the same time. So I uh, did not check out the Champions League. Don't know how Henri did on, on Wednesday, but I thought his debut was strong on Tuesday. Yeah, when you have someone of uh, Thierry Henry's pedigree talking about playing playing alongside Messi, uh, you listen. I mean, he was talking about uh, how Messi likes the ball, and you mean when Messi passes the ball to you, it means that you have to pass it back to him. Uh, and and I think no other soccer broadcast network in the U.S. can come anywhere close to that. I mean, that was just one example. There were many examples throughout the week. What about you, Kyle? I mean, obviously a little bit younger than, than Kartik and I, but, but for you, what is Thierry Henry, uh, what are your memories of him or kind of what does he say to you in terms of kind of uh, his pedigree a, as a player? Yeah, I, I always hear things that, you know, I'm lucky to be able to watch Ronaldo and Messi in their prime. But then at the same time, uh, Thierry Henry's prime was just before then. So I never really got to see him as a player, you know, doing the things they did at Highbury and in the Premier League, things like that, um, which is kind of a shame. I wish I always did. I mean, I see the highlights, and you can tell just by the little clips that I've seen that he was, you know, just a different beast uh, on the field. Uh, in terms of his uh, commentary and his analysis, I think you guys are spot on. I thought he provided a lot for the broadcast. I think it's funny. Uh, he's someone that you can't really stop talking because he does provide such great points, and he does – have a certain uh, expertise in the field that n- not many other people in the world can provide. And I, th- I don't know if it was just me, but I thought Kate Abdo was, uh, you know, she was like, uh, Tier Henry, can you give your quick analysis? Because he did keep on going on because he just has so many different things to say, different angles to provide. So, I mean, it's hard to stop him talking because he, he does provide all those different things. And I think he's a great addition for CBS and, uh, you know, a Champions League winner, another one added to that that arsenal uh, over there at CBS and on Paramount Plus. So it's just uh, their coverage for the la- this, especially this past uh, Tuesday and Wednesday was uh, exceptional, in my opinion. Yeah, Kartik, he missed it on Wednesday, but it was, it was really interesting because um, Wednesday morning, uh, Greg Berhalter named his squad for the, uh, well, his training camp squad for the World Cup qualifiers. And after the Champions League matches on Wednesday, they obviously, you I mean CBS Sports having uh, rights to some of these U.S. games, uh, brought in Greg Berhalter through a you know, video transmission, kind of did a, a live interview, and Thierry Henry asked a few questions, and you could tell that Thierry Henry. I mean, obviously, he's played in Major League Soccer, he's coached in Major League Soccer, um, I mean, as well as around the world uh, for different teams. But you could tell he knows a lot about U.S. soccer. He was talking about Brandon Aronson as one example of a player that he really liked. Uh, Jordan uh, Pifo, or um, the the the, uh, the French player who plays for the United States. Uh, how much Thierry Henry uh, really, really thinks he's he's really, really good and growing as as a player. Um, and the back and forth between Greg Berhalter and Thierry Henry that was something I would I'd never expected, and that brought in. I mean, again, that's that's Thierry, Thierry Henry showing his expertise, his knowledge, um, not just of you know, Champions League football, but also of, of Concacaf. And and for me, I mean, yeah, he probably has 
he probably has greater knowledge, honestly, than most of the American pundits on television uh, that analyze the U.S. about what American players specifically are doing in Europe. So, and as you mentioned, played in Major League Soccer, managed in Major League Soccer until about six months ago. So, uh, has a has a real grasp of the player pool. So, that's something CBS probably Chris would not have been able to do with uh, Carragher, Richards, and Roberto Martinez, maybe, but probably not. I think. Uh, bringing Thierry Henry gives them the flexibility to, to kind of cross-promote with other other properties, including CONCACAF and, and uh, U.S. men's national team. Yeah, and, and I'm, you're right about Schmeichel. Schmeichel was a lot better this week as far as kind of his analysis and giving some insights. Um, and, and, and Carragher's Carragher. He's, he's always good, entertaining. But to me, it's like, I mean, it's impossible. It's not impossible, but you mean, you look at Fox, you look at NBC, you look at ESPN. I mean, they're being left in the dust by what CBS Sports is doing with this Champions League coverage in terms of even if you just focus it on just the um, the name credibility of these top players. I mean, Peter Schmeichel, one of the best uh, goalkeepers ever uh, in the game. I mean, Thierry Henry, one of the best strikers ever in the game. Jamie Carragher, Champions League winner with Liverpool. I mean, you go, you go down the list. There's some, I mean, this is A-plus talent. And then you look at the, the other broadcasters, and it, it isn't A-plus talent, talent. Yes, a lot of them have really great insight and knowledge and information about the game. And, you I mean, a great camaraderie on screen, etc. But, I mean, they've completely been left in the dust. But, but Kyle, there's, there's definitely, I mean, I mean, one of the talking points this week in terms of um, the Champions League was, you I mean, Juventus. Uh, beating Chelsea, but what for you from this past week has stood out? So, I mean, Serie A seems to be kind of uh, on fire right now. Yeah, you uh, you already mentioned it. Uh, Juventus, I think they were drawing a lot of the storylines out of Italy just because they were struggling so much in Serie A play. But here they are, you know, two wins in league play back to back, and they did pick up that Wednesday victory over uh, uh, Chelsea. Yeah, I don't know why I'm blanking on that, but uh, something that I noticed from this past weekend is that. Uh, Syria is really becoming, in my opinion, one of the most competitive leagues, especially at the top of the table. We always hear about how the Premier League, well, you never know who's going to make top four, who's ever going to win the title. But at the same time, you know, it's it's probably going to be one of those top four, top six teams. Uh, and you could say the same about Syria, but the games in Italy always seem to be just more thrilling. And that's kind of a blanket statement, but just last weekend, you look at uh, Lazio playing Roma, thrilling 3-2 win at home. Uh, <clears throat> Atalanta, you know, a, a smaller team by a, by a lot of people's standards. They go to San, the San Siro, uh, play Inter Milan to a 2-2 draw. And then, like I said, you got Juventus coming up and those two wins in league play. And there's just a lot of interesting storylines to follow in Italy. And, you know, we hear a lot about the storylines in, in the Premier League or that in Spain with Barcelona struggling. And then obviously with PSG being... PSG and they're such an elite team but I think that the Italians are kind of flying under the radar and there's I mean I was going to list out a couple of storylines here in Syria that are are you know people can follow uh Napoli is a perfect start they've only conceded two goals in their first six games and you know they're second in the league play with a 16 goal score I mean they're six wins and six up to shoot out to 18 points so I mean obviously they're at the top of the table uh Jose Mourinho his first season at Roma they spent the most compared to any other Syria team uh, you know, another strong start, but in their last three games, they have two losses, and they're trying to fight for that uh, top four finish. And then Fiorentina, I think, last season they finished twelfth uh, in the league, and they they have lost against, I think it was Inter Milan. I could be wrong. It's one of the Milan teams. 
but they are beating teams that they should be beating. So they're in the fight for a European spot. So there's a lot of, of these storylines in Italy that are kind of going under the radar with the exception of the, the Juventus storyline because it was such a in-your-face in your face headline that Juventus was struggling so much. But I think it's just something that we can keep an eye on. And every weekend there seems to be games that are dramatic and exciting and just make sure just captures your attention whole and whole. Yeah, yeah, Chris, let me follow up on that. I, I completely agree with Kyle. I think Serie A is the most entertaining league in Europe. This weekend, it reasserted itself. The Atalanta uh, intermatch was phenomenal. Some bad officiating, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Gasparini had something to say about that after the match also. Atalanta uh, had an apparent winner disallowed, and there were a couple of other odd calls. But think about this. Atalanta, who I've said repeatedly is, to me, the most entertaining team to watch in Europe over the course of the last three or four seasons, has made the top four three straight years. A club of that size would not make the top four three straight years in England or Spain, for sure, and probably not in Germany. In Germany, we see a lot of stories where clubs are staying up uh, because they're well-run, whereas big clubs like Bremen and Hamburg and Schalke get relegated. But we're not really seeing Freiburg in the top four. Right, every season they've made Europa League a couple of times. We haven't really seen Mines crack the top four. So to me, that's a huge story. Agree with Kyle. Fiorentina, uh, Rocco Camiso, who we know, Chris, you and I know, uh, has made some significant changes to, to the football structure. They had a really tough season last year. We're counting on Prandelli, uh, and he, he botched the job up in his second act at Fiorentina, but they look strong. Uh, Napoli, I thought, was one of the more talented teams in Serie A last season. Did not like the job Gattuso did managing them. I think they're better this season, as Kyle mentioned. Other, one other team I'd throw in there was Lazio under Maurizio Sarri. I think it takes a little bit of time for Sarri to get that system rolling. And Napoli has gone back and forth with managers. They had Mazzari, who played kind of an attacking system. And then they went to Rafa Benitez, who did not. Then, uh, you know, you, 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 well, sorry, I'm thinking about Napoli. In the case of Lazio, they've had in... Um, in, in, in Zaghi, a really consistent setup and structure for many years. And I think Sari making the tweaks to that takes a little bit of time, and uh, they will be very good. So uh, I completely agree with Kyle. I, Serie A is my league to watch in Europe this season in terms of entertainment. Now, in terms of quality, I think we all agree the Premier League is, is a cut above this season. Not always, but this season. Yeah, right now, I think we're really blessed with some really, really entertaining games from, from the, all the different leagues. Um, I mean, especially in Europe, too. That, I mean, that's kind of the majority of, of our watching. Of course, we're watching a little bit of Major League Soccer, Copa Libertadores, uh, even Liga MX, etc. But just from this past weekend, you guys mentioned the Lazio-Roma game. Uh, incredible scenes at the end of the game with Sari with it holding up the uh, eagle. That was That was amazing. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, too. I mean, just even I, I, let, let me just throw this out there for the listeners because they may not have seen this. Jose Mourinho getting a yellow card, complaining about the time Lucas Leva was taking to walk off the pitch when sorry subbed them out. That was brilliant. That was peak Mourinho. And in the derby, uh, it, it was even higher drama. Mourinho um, getting in the in the fourth official's face because of the length of a sub. That's classic Jose. Yeah, there's been a lot of memorable scenes from Serie A. I mean, it's the season is still relatively uh, new, right? I mean, you've got uh, even from a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jose Mourinho running down to celebrate, kind of a, a, I mean, last minute winner for Roma. But but from this past weekend, Lazio Roma was a standout game. Brentford Liverpool to me, 
I mean, what a game, 3-3. It'd be really difficult to, from from minute zero to 90, to find a game that was this exciting, back and forth, high quality, lots of drama, uh, and Brentford's playing at home against, I mean, a really, really good Liverpool side that are really purring right now. Uh, Marseille against Lens, uh, Alonso from League One, probably my favorite game of the weekend. And part of this, too, is is what impresses me is the noise from the crowds. Uh, and, I, and I guess that's kind of one of the commonality of these things we're talking about is whether it's the Champions League, whether it's the Premier League, whether it's uh, Serie A, whether it's uh, Ligue 1, uh, seeing packed crowds, hearing the, the, the songs, the atmosphere, just really, really electric. And then we look at... La Liga, which which is, again, we talked about this last week, but talk about poor timing. I mean, midweek during the Champions League, both uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid, I mean, huge losses in terms of uh, against weaker opposition. I mean, these, these are teams you would think that they should be beating. And then in the league itself, it can reflect poorly on La Liga as a whole, going into another weekend, you mean, with all the games on ESPN+. Plus. So the timing of this whole thing, as far as CBS Sports, just really doing well with Serie A and the Champions League, and, and for La Liga and ESPN+, Plus, I mean, the timing is not right at all for several different reasons. And then you look at the French League and, and look to see how well uh, those games are, are going. But, I mean, again, viewership-wise, I'm sure there's not a lot of people tuning in to watch those games. Anything else, guys? Yeah, I'm going to – go I, ahead, Kurt. I can't, Chris. Uh, it doesn't help uh, Barcelona. You know, you could say that they're struggling in uh, European play just because they lost two games. But it's not just that they're losing. It's that they're being dominated. I saw that they have zero shots on goal through two Champions League games. And that's – I mean, for Barcelona standards, sure, they're going through a tough time. But, I mean, all due respect to Benfica, it's Benfica. It's understandable against Bayern Munich because – they're Bayern Munich, you know, they're probably going to be in, in the Champions League semifinals. Definitely one of the favorites to win it all. But Benfica is not really up to that standard, I think it's fair to say. And then Real Madrid, sure, they got the the opening day win against Inter Milan. Uh, Vinicius Jr. picking up that, that late goal for them. But uh, I, I'm i honestly, I think it develops some more uh, storylines for La Liga. And maybe they're not good storylines for Real Madrid's case, losing to Sheriff Tiraspol, who I think deserves a ton of credit going in there uh, to the Santiago Bernabeu and picking up a win. I mean, they're at six points in their group, which I think is something that we could talk about because that's incredible. But uh, in La Liga, the storylines are there, but they're not good storylines. They're not storylines that are saying, these are great teams, how will they compete in Spain? So I think it's just a, a tough time to be a La Liga supporter right now. Yeah, well, real quickly on Sheriff. Well, yeah. Actually, Carter, let me just chime in on, no, no. on La Liga real fast. It's the one thing I was watching the Barcelona Levante game from well, last weekend, and to me, you have a Barcelona team that is wounded. It's not the best. I mean, not the greatest Barcelona team by any means. Uh, low on low in confidence and playing not at a high level of football of what we're used to seeing from Barcelona. And I guess that's the other side of the story with La Liga is that if I'm Levante, go for it. I mean, push them. Push them as hard as you can. Go on the front foot like um, uh, Sheriff Tiraspol did against Real Madrid. But go for it. And, and Levante seemed to be kind of holding back a little bit like, hey, let's just hold on. Try to see if we can get a draw. Let's, 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 be, let's play very conservative. Let's try to keep the, the scoreline down a little bit. 
And I guess that's part of my disappointment with La Liga this season is that, I mean, you have teams like Barcelona and Real Madrid that are there for the slaughter. And, and the opposition, it doesn't seem to be at, at that level. I mean, this weekend we've got um, a big game coming up, which Carl will talk about later. But, I mean, I don't know. To me, I'd like to see it to be more competitive. I'd like to see more of the... Uh, the, the weaker opposition's going for it, and, and I'm not seeing that as much. But, but Kartik, uh, Sharif, uh, Tiraspol, certainly the team of the week, right? Yeah, they're the team of the week. I wasn't going to make a point about them, but about their opposition in the next two Champions League matches. Uh, they're at six points. They've eliminated, uh, they eliminated Dinamo Zagreb from uh, qualifying, which I remember thinking was a huge upset uh, and a stunner, and now they're top of their the, the Champions League group. The point I wanted to make was about the opposition they got in the, in the next two matches, which is Inter-Milan. Uh, I think Inter is actually the biggest disappointment in Europe over the course of the last two seasons. Um, bigger than Barcelona, bigger than Real Madrid, bigger than all these other clubs we're talking about. They, they uh, were terrible in the group stage last season. Their only win was a very controversial win over Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, which, um, it, 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 as it turns out, they still finished last in the group and Mönchengladbach advanced. But this season, first two Champions League matches, Real Madrid, uh, Kyle mentions the Vinicius Junior late winner, and then this match against Shakhtar, who uh, gave them trouble last season, too, weren't able to, to, to secure the points there. Now they're playing a hot team that has beaten Real Madrid at the Bernabeu, that has eliminated Dinamo Zagreb. They beat, they beat someone else uh, that, was, that was relatively strong, right? Two in the, in the qualifying rounds. I'm trying to remember who it was. Mm-hmm. But Sharif is... is is now um, high on confidence. And Inter, to me, has been the biggest letdown in Europe the last two seasons. They won Serie A last year, yet finished last in their Champions League group. Uh, this year, uh, thus far, look like they might finish uh, third or fourth again and, and be out of Champions League. Kyle, what's your recommendation for your match to watch? Yeah, it's kind of fitting. We're just talking about uh, the Spanish league. So I'm going to look at that league and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on Atletico Madrid against Barcelona, you know. There are two teams coming into the season that had, excuse me, had title aspirations. Um, Barcelona struggles, well documented. I don't think it's any secret about that. Um, Atletico Madrid, they just picked up a, a, a crucial win in Champions League play uh, midweek, <clears throat> and uh, Barcelona, as we just mentioned, struggling pretty greatly. Um, that three 0 loss against Benfica, but I think it's an important game for both teams. You could argue it's a a more important game for Barcelona. They were struggling against these smaller teams in La Liga play. Uh, so going to Atletico Madrid is obviously no easy task. Um, and I think Atletico Madrid might want to pounce on the opportunity. They got a week in Barcelona. You could argue a cripple Barcelona even. So it's just uh, an interesting game. Um, you know, Griezmann just scored his first goal <clears throat> back with Atletico Madrid. So who knows? Maybe he'll go back against the team that, kind of ridiculed him and essentially forced him out at the end of the, or at the beginning of the season. Yeah, Atleti is such a, if you're an Atleti fan, you've got to be loving it, but they're such a frustrating team to watch. Uh, but, but I mean, they keep on pulling out these last minute winners, whether it's in the Champions League, whether it's in La Liga, continuously. I mean, they seem to just, just be such a diff- difficult team to beat. And when they do score, you mean an early goal and it's 1-0, they just sit on it. And they they do it well. It works. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see in the title race for La Liga, even if it's going to be an Atleti or, or a Sevilla uh, winning the title, you would think with a, against Real Madrid. But those teams will definitely be involved. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned, Chris, uh, you know, you mentioned it. There's a 
if there's ever a time to jump on Real Madrid or Barcelona for those smaller teams, I say smaller teams like Sevilla, uh, Athletic Club even, or Villarreal, who just, uh, you know, unfortunate loss for them in Champions League play. If there was ever a time for them to, to pounce and, you know, really push for a, a La Liga title, this would obviously be the season because Real Madrid and Barcelona are not at their, their dominant best like we've seen over the last decade. So if they're yeah. really the one team that I think that they have to overcome would be Atletico and who knows? Maybe it's a, it's an open season for La Liga, for better or for worse. So who knows? Maybe one of those smaller teams will break through. Yeah, that could be a good thing for ESPN Plus and La Liga too, is to have a, a transition year where it may not be Real Madrid or Barcelona winning the title. I mean, Real Madrid obviously will have a chance. Uh, Barcelona, it doesn't look like at this stage. But um, to have, you I mean, whether it's uh, Sevilla winning the title, wouldn't that be great? I mean, or Atleti winning it for the second uh, season in a, in a row and really kind of um, breaking the, the stereotype of La Liga, which is it's a, you mean, a, a two-team league. Um, this is the time to do it, but do it in, a, in a style, do it in an entertaining way that's going to attract viewers. If Atleti wins it... I mean, it's they're, they're just a hard watch. I mean, if you're a soccer purist and and you watch them how they play, it's just so organized, so well drilled, uh, and and skillful for for sure. But just not a great entertainment watch. Bacartic, speaking of entertainment watches, uh, what do you, what's your recommendation for this weekend? Yeah, I went back and forth between River Boca and Liverpool, Manchester City. I settled on Liverpool, Manchester City, which is uh, Sunday at 11.30 a.m. It is a top-of-the-table clash in England. Now, I think NBC tends to over, uh, over-exaggerate the importance of these matches. Titles have been decided more often than not by the top teams dropping points to teams outside the top four or top six than the head-to-head matchups. But still, uh, early-season matchup, which will be so important because Liverpool is my pick, to win the Premier League. I think I'm the only person who picked them this season. So far, I'm happy with that pick, although I think losing Harvey Elliott till January is an issue. Manchester City has a lot of injuries, uh, but the performances the last two matches, even though they lost to PSG, uh, and the performance against Chelsea have been as good as I've seen City in about two years, if I'm perfectly honest. And I think the addition of Jack Grealish has given City a a little bit more of a a moxie in the final third. And... and, uh, um, some uh, aggressiveness on, on the uh, left side. So uh, I think it's going to be a great match, 11.30 a.m. Sunday. And over to you, Chris, because I think you may have picked River Boca since I didn't. Yes, thank you, Kartik. <laughs> yeah, I picked uh, River against Boca, uh, 4 p.m. on Sunday, Eastern time. Uh, but this game will be on Fanatis in Spanish and then Paramount Plus in English. Uh this one for the last year has been a disappointment just because there's been no fans in the stadium, so it's not the same. But uh, the game's going to be played at uh, Estadio uh, Monumental and in River Plate. And this will have, I think, about a 50% capacity in terms of the, the local uh, health restrictions. So we should expect about 35,000 fans. Uh, it is a big stadium, I think, with a running track around it. So it's not going to have the same atmosphere as at uh, Boca's ground. But still, it's a River Boca derby, one of the top derbies in the world. And it is always, always entertaining and always physical, full-on, just passion, passionate soccer. So again, 4 p.m. on Sunday Eastern time. For, for me, like the last couple of weeks, and I know I'm not the norm here, but the last few weeks, 
like the two forty five to three PM Eastern time on Sundays. Uh I mean yes I know it's head to head with NFL, but it's I mean, usually La Liga has a big game on it at that time. Usually the French League does and also Serie A. So what I've been doing is actually watching the three games at once or at least kind of hopping back and forth between those three. And um, that's been something that I've been really able to kind of really uh, kind of a new thing for me. Usually I'm more, I mean, you're 10 a.m. Eastern time or you're you're 1130 uh, Eastern time. And I'm I'm watching those too. But Sundays recently have been a joy for me. Um, Something that probably normally I would have been out with with the family. And uh, this river against Boca, 4 p.m. on Sundays, perfect timing for me on that one. All right, let's move on to TV streaming news. And Kartik, this has been a big story. I mean, we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, it's possible that some of this information that we're going to share with you in, in a minute is going to be a little bit out of date, or maybe not. We, we don't know. This is such a, a big question mark, but I'll have you uh, go ahead and explain what's going on. Yeah, and, and quite frankly, it's led to so much criticism of Comcast the last couple of days. So let's see if they can resolve this. NBC Universal and YouTube, uh, as we reported the other day on World Soccer Talk, YouTube TV on verge of missing a deadline in their carriage dispute, which would mean that uh, 14 NBC Universal channels would be dropped from YouTube TV. Now, we got some uh, um, further clarification from Lightshed's Rich Greenfield, who, who reported NBC. NBC Universal is trying to force YouTube TV to bundle and pay for Peacock Premium as a part of their new affiliation agreement for the NBC Universal channels. And um, that created all sorts of backlash, at least on social media, with people who have already been uh, people who are informed in the industry, Chris and Kyle, all, who have already been kind of skeptical of Com- Com- uh, Comcast's approach, their management of NBC Universal, what they're doing with, with uh, Peacock and Peacock Premium and sports properties in general to say, my goodness, they've really lost the plot uh, if, that's, uh, if that's the issue and also gives further light into what must be going on with Peacock and how that may be a loss leader over at Comcast and NBC Universal. So uh, stay tuned. Again, as Chris said, maybe this will be gated by the time you listen to the podcast. We hope so. We hope this gets resolved. But if it doesn't, really bad look for NBC. Yeah, the danger of this is that if you are a YouTube TV subscriber and a deal isn't reached um, by today, Thursday, September 30th, or by uh, Friday, October 1st, is that um, YouTube TV will no longer have 14 NBC channels, which include, for soccer fans like us, um, the NBC Over the Air, NBCSN, USA Network. So those are the three key ones that always uh, show soccer. In addition to that, Telemundo and uh, Universo. So you you miss this five uh, major soccer channels that show a ton of games. And uh, it, this is really a bad look for NBC, NBC Universal on this one. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, okay, YouTube TV, if you want to go ahead and continue to have our 14 channels, um, that's fine. But uh, we also want you to go ahead and uh, include Peacock with that. And YouTube TV is probably going like, we don't want Peacock. You mean like, like yeah, you got your own Peacock. Uh, <laughs> we don't want it. And of, of course, from NBC's point of view, NBC Universal the advantage they could get if they go ahead and convince YouTube TV to include Peacock as part of that bundle for YouTube TV subscribers is 
is number one advertising dollars. So uh, NBC Universal with using Peacock, I mean, it has a ton of ads, and then they can get uh, more. Uh, revenue NBC can from that by having all these YouTube TV subscribers. And then number two is that uh, it, YouTube TV has uh, a r- roughly about between three to four million subscribers. So it would mean that Peacock t- uh, Premium will, will overnight, you know, the number of subscribers they would have would have uh, even gone up by three to four million, which is a big deal. So I think it's NBC really pushing to see, okay, how, can, how far can we push this? And at the end of the day, though, it doesn't make them look good. Um, it doesn't make Comcast look good either. And I have to wonder if the Premier League is looking at this, which I'm sure they are, especially right now, right in the middle of the negotiations for um, the next TV deal. And we know that CBS is interested. Um, we believe ESPN is interested. Uh, we know that NBC, of course, is interested in renewing. And I'm sure there's many others, too. But it does not look make Comcast look good this is a bad look this is a lot of negative pr now again by the time this podcast is released maybe they they find a deal or figure out a way to do this but if i'm a youtube tv subscriber i I mean yes nbc is kind of uh kind of the, the the evil one in this one but if i'm a youtube tv subscriber i might say like well why do i continue to have youtube tv maybe i should go to fubo tv or go to sling or whatever it may be because those uh, streaming companies, those have those channels that I, I want to watch to watch my games. Kyle, wh- wh- where do you stand on this one? Do you kind of, I mean, first of all, I guess the first question I've got for you is, um, and I'm not even sure what the answer is on this one yet, is, is uh, are you a cord cutter? If not, like, do you get Comcast? Do you get Spectrum? Like, where are you with your uh, uh, TV uh, watching uh, habits? For a long time, um my family actually used DirecTV, um, which I know is rapidly becoming a thing of the past at the current rate. Uh, but a lot of that just stems from the fact that, you know, we uh, we lived in an out-of-market region for a lot of the sports teams we followed, so we had to get satellite TV to follow them. And uh, so that's how I kind of grew up watching soccer. And I always feel like, well, let me just uh, say really quickly um, – we talk about the timing of things, uh, you know, the Premier League rights uh, expiring soon for NBC. You know, you mentioned it, Chris. Uh, what what are they thinking? You know, they obviously want their games to be broadcast to, to the U.S., you know, a huge market here. And they're seeing that YouTube TV and NBC are having this little dispute. And so they are got they got to be thinking that NBC is just uh, that cannot be the future for us. CBS, meanwhile, is promoting all these games. You know, Champions League coverage is going great. Serie A coverage is going great. So I think that they're rapidly looking like a, a great little outlet for the Premier League in the future. Um, but like I was saying, uh, yeah, just DirecTV kind of was what I had growing up. But then I did become a cord cutter, and that just stems from, A, it saves money, uh, and B, it's the same thing as watching cable, but you just have more options, in my opinion, um, easier options. And with the development of just technology in general, it's a lot easier to navigate a lot easier to access, and it's just an overall better experience. Yeah, so, so it should, should be really interesting to see what happens with this one and how much of a role Peacock, or even a conversation point uh, with the Premier League and the discussion of Peacock, and, and I'm sure NBC would sell it and say, like, hey, we've got X n- million number of subscribers, people love Peacock, it's got, I mean, a lot of the games, we've got, you know, the Premier League is one of the most watched 
um, content on Peacock and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of good things that uh, NBC can position Peacock uh, as for the Premier League. Um, but on the street, <laughs> on the streets of America, uh, it's just uh, a really, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Peacock subscriber, but it's a really frustrating experience uh, being a Peacock subscriber. It's not, I mean, no streaming solution is perfect, but ESPN Plus versus Peacock is, is night and day difference between those two. Kartik, um, let's move on. So the next news item, we've, we've kind of covered this already, which is uh, Thierry Henry joining CBS's uh, coverage as a studio analyst. But a couple of stories that, that did come out uh, this week uh, also in, in the same week as CBS announced in Thierry Henry, Fox Sports announced that they've picked up the rights to the FIFA Arab Cup, which is going to start in um, November, from November to December. It's going to feature 16 teams from uh, both North Africa and the Middle East, and uh, the games will be shown live across Fox Sports networks. Um, it's one year before the World Cup in Qatar, so it's quite possible that Fox Sports might use this as kind of a, a dry run, maybe to get to, you mean, maybe have a studio perhaps, who knows, or to at least uh, try out some of their, their talent to see, okay, who's going to be uh, World Cup coverage uh, level. But, and, and, and also in, in addition to that, uh, I think we mentioned this in last week's podcast. Yes, yes we did. Uh, they also picked up the rights to Serie B. Uh, and we're still waiting to find out uh, where those games will be. Maybe maybe on Tubi. That's that's the thought on that one. But Kartik, the, the FIFA Arab Cup, you mean, is this a uh, an acquisition uh, to play nice with, with FIFA and Qatar? Or is this something that you kind of think that there will be people interested in watching this tournament? Well, I, I'm actually kind of interested in the tournament because I've, uh, the uh, Arab areas are kind of a cultural region and they've been split up. Uh, federation-wise, confederation-wise between Africa and Asia because they're on different continents. But So I, I actually think uh, it'll be an interesting tournament uh, because also these clubs have done uh, pretty well, by the way, uh, in the FIFA World Club Cup in the past. Uh, some of the clubs from, from uh, the North Africa, Middle Eastern and North Africa region, what we call MENA region, uh, which is where these, the, this competition will be from, have done well, well. So it actually logically kind of fits into Fox's coverage of that event also um, in terms of whether it's going to move the needle for Fox. No, I, I don't think there'll be much interest in this in the U S but I do Fox's acquisition strategy is interesting. They're, they're, they're snip, sniffing around soccer still by getting um, acquiring rights to things that may not be necessarily mainstream. They may not be the big ticket items, which we see CBS and, and ESPN more than other networks competing with one another for, but uh, they are keeping uh, Fox relevant in the soccer game. They're keeping us talking about them on this podcast, right? A few weeks ago, we talked about the Premier League rights, Chris, and we forgot about Fox. We didn't talk about them, but um, subsequently I've had conversations with people in the industry who say, Hey, we really need to look at what Tubi is doing. And what Fox, how Fox is positioning that platform, which they bought a year ago. Uh, and then we've seen Serie B and the Arab Cup be acquired. So I, I think it's good for Fox. I mean, whether we like it or not, they are going to broadcast the next two World Cups and the next Women's World Cup. We're, 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 on, the, we're on the hook for them, for both those uh, events, So for all three of those events, actually. So uh, let's hope they can uh, use these as kind of trial runs to improve their soccer coverage. 
Yeah, on, on the hook is a good a good description, Kartik. <laughs> That's very apt. Um, Kyle, Kyle, there was another piece of news that came out this week. This one actually flew under the radar. I, don't, I didn't see much uh, much other publications um, talking about it or writing about it. Um, we, we, we mentioned it on worldsoccertalk.com. But it's a story that um, I think flew under the radar just because there's so much going on during uh, midweek. Yeah, it's a it's a smaller one for sure, but it's 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 interesting for a lot of us that you know we do follow the Champions League so thoroughly. It's uh, that Paramount Plus they're they're releasing a film, actually releasing a series of films. This is just the uh, the first one, and it'll document uh, Guillaume Balaguer's coverage of the Champions League during the the pandemic. And he had an interesting uh, opportunity because obviously during that time there's such limited travel, especially in Europe. You know. The lockdowns, you could argue, are more severe over there than they were in the United States. And so there really was no travel, obviously no fans in, in the stadiums, the Champions League, and had to move it to Porto. And so this this documentary-style film called Destination Porto just gives everybody a behind-the-scenes look at Guillaume Balaguer's travels and his experience. So in a time where there was no behind-the-scenes coverage because even the media teams for the teams that were competing in the, in the Champions League, they were minimized and we didn't really see anything that the players were doing during training or anything, you know, the walk-ups, you know, anything that we would see normally from a very standard Champions League game, we didn't get that. And uh, so it kind of provides that insight for a time that we didn't have it. Uh, it's released, I mean, obviously it's released uh, over a year, well over a year since the the final in Porto, but it's still an interesting concept. And it's a, it, obviously Guillaume Balague is one of the best journalists uh, covering European soccer so it's going to be interesting to see uh, his experience and what it's like to go around during that time when everything was limited to such a uh, such a high extent. Yeah, for me, it's interesting because if I had to think about the three, my three favorite uh, soccer journalists or soccer you know, telejournalists, because I mean, oftentimes they're writing for publications, but then oftentimes they're on television. Um, I would say that would be Guillaume Balaguer. Uh, Rafa Honigstein, Sid Lowe, actually I'll name four, and then Gab Marcotti. And it's interesting too because all four of those are just like top class, uh, 100 out of 100, just really knowledgeable, uh, good communicators, have a lighter side to them. I mean, they can joke from time to time. But it's interesting because Kartik, all four of those had their roots in uh, soccer podcasting. You had uh, Guillaume Balaguer and Gab Marcotti, who had a podcast together many years ago for, I think, on the Times. The game, it was called. Yeah, was that, was a good, that was a classic I, one. I missed that podcast. That was one. That, uh, sorry to, to, to jump in here, Chris, but that, was, that podcast, to be honest, was one of my inspirations for some of the things we've done on, on, on this podcast. Uh, the Times, if I recall correctly, put that out. That's uh, right. I was like, yep. It might have even been 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. <laughs> like 15, 15. It's not 20, but 15. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, there were no podcasts 20 years right. ago. Sorry. Yeah, it was like 15 years ago. Yeah, so 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 that one, yeah, uh, Guillaume Balaguer and Gab Marcotti. And then the other two, uh, Sid Lowe and Rafa Honigstein, of course, with uh, Football Weekly back in the day. And uh, it's just interesting that all four of those. So, so I, I guess what I'm, I'm getting at is that CBS uh, going after and getting Guillaume Balaguer very smart move. And, and Rafa Honigstein last season, um, maybe we'll see him again throughout the season, perhaps, maybe this year. Uh, to add to that, actually, Freddie Lundberg has been 
has been incredible. I, I love Freddie Lundberg on the uh, Golasso show with Nico Canto. And I like, part of the reason I like Freddie is that uh, if you listen to his accent, he's got a, <laughs> just a great mixture of uh, Swedish and English. You could tell that he's, he's lived in, uh, in the UK in London for quite a while. Uh, but with the Swedish accents, but then of course, I mean, fantastic player and also great analysis. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to, to, to listen to him or to watch him on the Glasser show, highly recommend it for the Champions League. Um, but yeah, but, uh, but then also uh, kudos to ESPN too because uh, ESPN Plus even continuing to have Gab Marcati and then having Sidlow this season for uh, La Liga makes total sense. And those are all smart moves, but both. Uh, ESPN and CBS, and then uh, what else have we got going on? Okay, so so actually, I'm really excited about this, and this is um, I think uh, Kyle mentioned it on last week's podcast, and that was our new video uh, interview series. Speaking of uh, speaking to some of the, the biggest names out there, and uh, this will debut on YouTube and Facebook on Thursday, uh, September 30th at 12 noon Eastern time. It's about a 25-minute uh, interview with uh, the first guest is Mark Donaldson from ESPN, somebody that uh, you'll all know as far as even once you hear his voice in terms of his coverage uh, and commentating of games from La Liga, uh, Bundesliga, and international soccer, etc. And uh, Kyle, you, you, did, you did the first episode. Um, any any surprises in there? In there, we can keep an eye out for because I haven't had a chance to watch the video yet. I'm looking forward to watching it too. It depends on what you think is a surprise. Obviously, you just kind of mentioned it, uh, Mark. He's a, a pleasure to talk to. We had a, a really great conversation, and you mentioned it. Uh, he's got that that Scottish accent that I think we all know and love. And so, I, if the the concept of the show, we went over it last week, and Chris may have just mentioned it. Is you know we have these soccer media personalities come on. Shows certain mementos, things they've collected over their time in covering soccer. And so it's interesting. I, I won't spoil what he shows, but, I mean, they're unique and uh, they're special. And I don't think anybody else will have these exact kind of things. And those, I mean, he showed, I believe it was five items. Um, and, you know, there's three of one category and two of another. I won't spoil what they are. But then the two, um, they're things that he's kind of contributed to, and that's what makes soccer media coverage so interesting, especially for these these reporters, these studio hosts, analysts like uh, like Mark is. He uh, he spreads himself out. He uh, he's not just I'm going to go call Bundesliga game, which he's doing right now for for ESPN. Uh, he also covers tennis. He covers baseball with a a show for ESPN that works in tandem with BT Sport for uh, coverage of baseball in the UK. And so it's just a it was a really fun time talking to Mark. Um, he's a great guy. He's a great commentator. And just this, this video series was something we're really excited about, you know, being able to talk to soccer personalities in the media and uh, just kind of learn more about uh, their experience, their career and things that they've collected. So the name of the show is Soccer Show and Tell, and it's on uh, YouTube and Facebook, I mentioned. But so YouTube TV slash World Soccer Talk. Kartik, I know you've got – this is going to be a tough question for you, maybe. Maybe not. But I, I know you have a lot of your own cherished football mementos and, and memorabilia and things that have a personal meaning to you in your journey uh, of loving and watching and supporting and, and working in the industry of soccer, the sport of soccer. If you had to pick one item from your 
collection or from from your you mean your, your belongings is there any one item that you can think of that you cherish that has a special meaning to you um a special meaning okay so that, that that's interesting i i guess maybe the fa Cup final program from uh from 2011 when man city won its uh, against stoke when uh, man city won its first trophy in 35 years my the thing I like the most, though, the thing I look at the most is probably my um, my FA Cup final program from '62, uh, the the Spurs Burnley final, huh. um, which uh, which I have, and then I also have the uh, um, uh, the uh, uh, the program from the. Uh, from the Munich, I call it Munich. My goodness, the Barcelona final between Manchester United and Bayern Munich, um, which is also uh, really an incredible memento in football history, English football history in particular. So there are a few that I would put up there. Uh, and Chris, by by you mentioning this, maybe I need to start um, collecting match programs again because I, I have not, I don't think, gotten a match program since a uh, a match I went to. Uh, a, a uh, Newcastle or Sunderland match uh, several years ago, and I don't think I've actually acquired a match program since then. Yeah, it's interesting too because um, we won't go too much into this rabbit hole. But it's interesting because during COVID, a lot of clubs um, were release- releasing digital versions of the match day programs. And and for those listeners who aren't familiar with this, when you go to an, in, any soccer game in in Europe. Uh, there's always like a, a printed um, match day magazine, or basically a pr- what's called a program for that game, and it'll have the um, the, the team sheets, or it'll have the the team lineups. It'll have usually a column from the manager and news from the club, and some articles and photos, etc. And this goes back to, you I mean the late 1800s? There's people that collect uh, match day programs. Um, you mean for over 150 years from from you I mean. Manchester City, you name it, whatever club it may be. Um, it's particularly, I mean, definitely much bigger in, in Europe um, and the rest of the world than it is the United States. But what's happened actually, Kartik, this season is that I think a lot of clubs are starting to say, you know what, the digital program thing worked out really well. We're not going to go ahead and actually uh, publish a printed uh, match day program, um, which, is, which, is, which is a shame. So, so interestingly enough, and, and again, uh, four Laurel strikers are not in business anymore, but um, we did printed match day programs for every match in the NASL 2.0 uh, from 2011 to 2015. We went to a digital program at the beginning of the 2016 season against my best advice, right, within the organization. And by mid-season, uh, and again, NASL, those of you familiar with, with lower league soccer in the U.S., you have a very niche, small rabid fan base uh we had to go back to printing the programs because our fans and and it might be the 50 flight 19 members and the 50 hardcore season ticket holders beyond that might have just been 100 people but they were constantly complaining about not getting a physical program uh and having physical memento from the match so uh that's something that um that uh, at least and now granted a lot of those fans also were were into uh, were inspired by by trends in england right and maybe now five years later the strikers were still in business they would be into the digital program thing but that was really encouraging for me back in 2016 
Yeah, I could, I could do a whole uh, episode on, on uh, match day programs. I got so many stories I, I want to tell right now, so many examples, but I, we'll save that maybe for a special uh, episode, maybe in the future when uh, you mean during an international break or during a break where there's not a lot of games going on. But uh, yeah, if, if listeners are interested, let, me, let us know and uh, we can share some of those stories. Um, before we move on, a couple of different uh, items I d- definitely want to mention also too um, at worldsoccertalk.com. One of them is an article by Kyle that's in the works. It's coming soon. I know it's uh, been a labor of love, uh, Kyle, because you've interviewed several different people and it's a topic that's near and dear to your heart. But can you give us a little bit of a preview of of who you spoke to and kind of where the article is heading towards? Yeah, I had the privilege of sitting down with five members of the – when I say sitting down, it was just all uh, over Zoom as we're still in kind of a pandemic or something like that – yeah, I had a chance to talk with five members of the, uh, the soccer media, you know, the likes of Rebecca Lowe or Kendra de St. Aubin, who I don't think a lot of people will know, but she's uh, the color commentator for uh, Minnesota United in the MLS. Uh, uh, you know, just other members of the soccer media, uh, Seb Hutchinson, for example, who calls Premier League games for uh, ITV in uh, in England. And uh, just, uh, and I'll say another, uh, Nico Cantor. And, you know, at face level you might not think that these people have a lot in common but the one thing they do is that they're all very diverse and so the premise of this story that i'm working on and it's been in the works for a a week and a half now two weeks now i'm trying to get it done uh get it published probably early next week is just that as soccer has grown to be more diverse on the field we see uh more minorities playing we see the women's games growing at an exponential rate um as we've seen that growth on the field, we've seen a similar growth off of it and a growth in the broadcast booth, in the studio, in just total coverage of soccer. So we've seen more diverse media personalities talking about soccer, covering soccer. And it's an interesting story just because when you think of diversity, there's so many different topics that can come to your head. Racism, sexism, uh, ageism even. You know, We see more youth in the, in the soccer media business. And it's an interesting article because it's a dominating topic in soccer. We see the racism headlines between England and Hungary, uh, and it's something that we're trying to eradicate. But is it something that will ever eradicate? I don't know. Uh, it's just something that's a constant battle. Uh, so just being able to sit down with those those five members of the media and being able to talk about their experiences, just overall how they think diversity has grown in the coverage of the game. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading that one. And um, Matteo Benetti, another of the uh, mm-hmm. the five that you spoke to and, and uh, got some uh, good insight from there, being an Italian-American, uh, someone younger, you mean somebody that's relatively, um, you mean kind of representing kind of this new wave of uh, soccer, both commentators and journalists uh, coming through the game with uh, different uh, diverse backgrounds um, and different opinions, which which is always encouraged. And then, Kartik, uh, you wrote a really interesting article um, this week on worldsoccertalk.com, and it talks about uh, how a hybrid model um, between American sports and European soccer could be the game's ultimate blueprint. Oftentimes, by soccer fans, American sports take a bashing uh, for many different reasons. But um, there was one thing in particular that you looked at that you, you think from American sports that could be something that could be very useful for uh, European soccer clubs to take a look at or the leagues and the, and the confederations to possibly uh, consider uh, for the game to grow in the future. 
Yeah, American sports takes a professional sports takes a bashing for good reason, in my opinion. And I have I lost interest in American pro sports leagues uh, 15 years ago. I mean, I is still interested in college sports, very interested in college sports and golf and some of the individual sports, but not uh, American pro, not the big four American pro sports leagues. Uh, however, one thing I do like is that Major League Baseball has been able to continue its. Um, continue to operate without a salary cap and continue to operate with um, some sort of without the, the real strict marketing restrictions that you get in the other uh, four franchise-based leagues that you get in NHL, uh, MLS, NFL, and NBA. I focus specifically on the luxury tax, which is something we had tried the final year of the NASL in 2017. Uh, I wasn't working for the league at that point uh, and ended up working for the team that the salary that the luxury tax was most directed uh, against or direct was put in place because of, which was Miami FC. Uh, we had a, a situation in NASL where Miami FC was was spending disproportionately uh, to the rest of the league, and, and maybe the New York Cosmos also, but really Miami FC more than the other uh, uh, teams. So it was put in place um, very quietly. But my, my the feedback, of course. After that season, there was the, the litigation and the sanctioning issue, and I went to work for Miami FC. I had previously worked for the league and for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers uh, and came to Miami FC right as the litigation was starting with U.S. soccer, and we ended up having to play in, in, in other leagues the, the next couple seasons when I worked for the club. So, um, unfortunately, never really got to see how luxury tax would have played out, and that season it was put in place, Miami FC still won the league, still lapped the league basically by double-digit points. But uh, the thinking is long-term it would have helped equal the playing field and create more variety at the top of the table and also given a revenue stream to clubs that were struggling and were not, uh, maybe not as strong financially. So that's what I kind of like from European football from a European football perspective, I in no way want to see leagues closed or a salary cap. I, I think the salary cap is a wage suppression uh, technique, and I'm against salary caps in, in all uh, sports. I think it's a way of suppressing wages of, of, uh, of, of the athletes, uh, quite honestly, and squeezing them. And I do not like uh, even the conversation about closed leagues, as I think everybody is well aware of. A league should remain open and accessible. So this was a kind of a compromise I think you can take from American sports that, to improve the health of teams further down the table that never compete toward the top of the league and uh, allow streams of revenue uh, financially for those clubs, which do not necessarily stop the top clubs from spending. They got Manchester City, Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool can still spend, and Arsenal. Arsenal's been spending a ton of money. And Aston Villa also has been spending a ton of money recently. Those clubs can continue to spend as they do. They would just have to pay a fine, uh, a, a tax into a general revenue um, pool that might be distributed among the other 14 or 13, you know, however many Premier League clubs we're talking about, that fall under whatever the arbitrary line is. Same thing in in the other leagues uh, may not need it as much in Germany because that's a, that's a supporter driven league. And as we talked about uh, outside of the top, the very top, it's, it's, it's incredibly competitive with Hamburg, Werder Bremen and, uh, and Schalke all being down at this point. But I think it could help in, in Italy a lot as well. And uh, Spain has their own salary cap, which I'm not, um, I'm not necessarily in favor of, but they have it, and we see the impact it's having on Barcelona. So a luxury tax would be 
repetitive and, and ineffective in Spain. So really more thinking about England, Germany, and Italy for this. Yeah, it's a meaty topic, and uh, the article goes into more detail in regards to some of Kantik's thoughts, kind of a deeper analysis. And it's one of those things that I could imagine this article being in The, Econ- the Economist or in a, a scholarly um, kind of journal or publication by by a university. It, it's a really kind of uh, deep thought in, into this topic. So so definitely check that out at worldsoccertalk.com. Moving on to this listener mailbag uh First of all, thanks everyone for for some really great feedback, uh, as always. First up is Corey. Corey says, um, I'm surprised that the crew has not discussed the impact that the massive NHL or NFL Sunday ticket rights have as the big domino affecting the big soccer rights being negotiated right now. Uh, Jimmy Pitaro, who's the uh, ESPN CEO, head of uh, ESPN, is on public record that Disney ESPN wants that out-of-market NFL package, but Amazon may be in the pole position. Would the loser of that battle turn their checkbooks to the Premier League for a relative deal? And that leaves the complete MLS package as the consolation prize for someone else, because another multi-billion dollar soccer deal might make them pass on the MLS's price increase. That would allow NBC or CBS to swoop in and get MLS's tonnage at a cheaper cost to bolster their respective streaming services. Both also offer a mainstream network for regular broadcast windows that MLS would want as well. Fox is presumably sitting on the sidelines saving up for the upcoming Big Ten or college football playoff openings so they aren't a factor. Turner, HBO, and Amazon doesn't have the digital streaming component components paired with a network like their competitors. So I, re- I really see one of NBC, Peacock, or CBS Paramount being stuck without a chair when the music stops. What about you? Which company is most likely to be shut out from this round of rights deals? Kartik, there's a lot to take in there. A lot of uh, good thoughts by Corey. Any, anything uh, in particular or any... Uh, uh, answers to those questions? Yeah, so the Turner HBO um, question, I'm not sure that you can't show a football matches, soccer matches on, on Turner channels like the NHL is going to do, uh, like the NBA has done for however many years. Uh, actually, I, I think the NBA first went to TBS in 1982 or 83, so they've shown the NBA for 40 years now. Um, and uh, Amazon obviously doesn't have the... Uh, um, the 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 network tie-in, but I, I don't know everything we everything that seems to be happening. Chris, we started uh, the podcast talking about it, or started the, the news section talking about it. There, there's not there's something not right with Comcast and NBC, and uh, they lost the NHL. Something we weren't sure they would be able to afford to do. They uh, uh, they bet big now on the NFL Sunday Night Package to the point where uh, they are. They, they may be their hands may be tied with everything else, and we're not that confident in Comcast management. As I've said before, when General Electric ran NBC, there were a couple times they pulled back from live sports, thinking that it was a it was a financial drain. And, and each time they came back, right, a couple of years later. But I would have to say, if someone's going to get shut out, it's probably NBC. As as crazy as that might sound, and maybe it's just the temperature today. And a week from now, I'll feel differently. But that just seems to be the way it's going, or just mm-hmm. the, the, the feel I get. 
Yeah, same here. I, it's one of those things that, I mean, all of them have the money to spend if they want to, right? Comcast could come in and say, hey, $2 billion, no problem. It's a lot of money, but it hurts us in the pocket. But we know the value of and, – and, and the future in terms of streaming and, and how big this this is for that audience. And wherever – you mean – Comcast goes if they say okay everything on Peacock or everything on TV or whatever it may be, soccer fans will follow. The same the same can be said of any of these. I mean CBS can come in and say okay whatever it takes buy it. Disney and ESPN Plus you mean they could say the same thing too. Uh, Fox could say the same thing too. I mean Amazon could. Um, Part of the challenge is going to be is not just only how much money these people are offering, which is going to be a, a key driver. But if it is an Amazon, you mean have it missing out on the linear component? Is that a big deal for the Premier League? And I think I think it is still. I mean, they still want to have their games on over the air television. Uh, Amazon's still so big that you mean they could probably buy a network TV network, but they're, they're not going to just do that just for the Premier League. Um, so there's definitely so maybe it's a split package. Maybe Amazon says, "Okay, we'll take all the streaming rights. We're going to just monopolize that, and then find a partner on the TV side that's going to uh, to work with them on that." And, and, and that's tough too because you I mean who do you? You I mean does that hurt ultimately um, the Premier League? You I mean they would rather have somebody come in and say, "Hey." Not only will we take the uh, the linear television rights and the rights to all the games on streaming, but also Spanish language. Spanish language is huge, especially in the United States with that viewership. Who has the ultimate package? NBC does, right? Uh, CBS doesn't. CBS doesn't have really a strong Spanish language uh, component. Um, so it's ESPN or NBC or, or Fox. <laughs> um, yeah, this, this is a r- riddle and this is something it's going to, I'm sure definitely with it, within the Premier League, uh, uh, headquarters in London, as well as at the top clubs throughout England, they're kind of scratching their heads trying to figure out, okay, which of these is, is the best one to go with and hoping that that price that they offer is the biggest price possible, uh, to make that deal you mean to make it basically a done deal next up is greg greg says listening to the pods and i think you're way overthinking the so-called resurgence of nbc's coverage it dipped solely due to the covid related issues match match scheduling to more windows distancing and other in-studio precautions the studio shows on NBCSN are back to what they were before COVID. Of course, Peacock studio shows are more in-depth because of less commercial time. But you can't compare now to pre-Peacock, pre-COVID. It's two vastly different contexts. The The analysts and Rebecca are back to the best selves. could be uh, because they're uh, supposedly more focused because of rights. Or it could be because they are, like anyone else, uh, had stresses of working in the COVID environment. But you can't. You really cannot compare the COVID-affected seasons to other seasons. If the game had been raised uh, in any, if if the game has been raised in any way, it's thanks to Danny Higginbotham. Like top players on the pitch, I think he has made the team better. Tim Howard has gotten better, but I don't think he was that bad to begin with. Just needed time to find his way, and like any good professional, hopefully sought out feedback and improved. Kartik, do you agree with that? Uh, no, I I, I, uh, I I tend to agree on the men in blazers thing. I think it did drive some 
um, some some new fans to the Premier League. And I think, uh, uh, and it was ironic, Roger Bennett tweeted about Ted Lasso driving more fans to the sport uh, than anything in this country, which I, I think is is true. I, I have the, a number of people, you know, political contacts, contacts from other things that are now curious about English football. And I'm glad uh, Ted Lasso series seems to always highlight Man City. Uh, but curious about English football because of the uh, of Ted Lasso. But you could argue prior to that, the greatest driver of casual fans towards English football was the Men in Blazers show, even though I didn't I didn't love them integrating it like you on in, in the mainstream coverage. I disagree on NBC. I think they dipped long before COVID. I, I don't know how long I've been complaining about the lack of analysis, the kind of cookie cutter, sensational storylines, you know, very lazy uh, narratives. I would actually tie it back to the moment Comcast bought Sky. So that would have been 2018 uh, that it really began to dip. And then you saw as pieces of the coverage fell away, uh, they weren't properly replaced. So I, I made the point about Neil Ashton before. Now, with David Ornstein, we have the replacement of two years later, a year and a half later. And other parts of their coverage, even the things like uh, the Goalhanger Films productions from Gary Lineker that are no longer uh, – NBC is no longer producing that sort of content. And, again, I think the studio shows got very stale and lazy – and I agree, Danny Higginbotham really came in and mixed it up, talked about, would give you analysis of Brighton or Southampton instead of just worrying about Man City and Man United. So that was good. But, uh, yeah, they've, ha- they've had a renaissance, and I think they're, they're at their best point now since early 2018 before the Sky, uh, the Sky merger or Sky Turco takeover. They got I, – I, now, we didn't see a lot of Sky Sports integrated in NBC coverage, Chris, so I want to make, make it clear what I'm saying. I think NBC's – Template coverage became more like Sky's in terms of – and not Sky, Jamie Carragher, Gary Neville's Sky. Uh, I'm talking more about Sky Sports news-type coverage, more kind of sensational, more focused on uh, on big clubs or big, splashy headline items. Uh, and now we're getting back to where NBC was in, 20, in early 2018. All right, we got a lot to get to, so let's go through these. Michael says, I enjoyed this podcast and thought uh, last week and thought Kartik's point about the Premier League being similar to SEC Football Conference in America as being as uh, so much better marketed than all the other Euro domestic leagues even years ago, when arguably it was not in many minds the best league in the world. This is not to start any debate about which league is best, but anyone can see that the marketing brand of the Premier League is superior in so many ways. This brand and mark and marketing brings such a strong appeal to the league. Just watch the Premier League's own 24-7 uh, Premier League TV channel on Peacock, and you will have to admit how good they market their league with such excellent film of their history and matches and cover it with top analysts and personalities via their shoulder programming. Brad says on one of the most recent podcasts, someone mentioned, someone asked why the domestic TV rights in Germany for the Bundesliga were not anywhere near the amount of money that the Premier League gets from Sky in the UK. I don't have a definitive answer, but I would think that one reason is what fans will and won't pay for football in Germany. There are constant stories about fan boycotts due to high prices and tickets. There seems to be a community standard in what is allowable. And when prices go above that level, fans stay away. If fans aren't willing to pay more than 15 to 20 euros for a standing ticket 
to attend a match in person, do you really see those same people paying hundreds of euros for a Sky Deutschland satellite dish and then a monthly fee on top of that to watch matches live? The free-to-air highlights for the Bundesliga air on a public broadcaster on Saturday evenings, similar to Match of the Day on BBC. Recently, a deal was signed for Sky and DAZN to share the domestic rights in Germany. If more matches end up on DAZN and at a reasonable price point, maybe that attracts more customers to the service. But that's just a presumption. Would be interested if anyone else had any more details. Turning our uh, topic to uh, World Cup and kind of comments about the World Cup being uh, proposed for every two years, Jason says the World Cup every two years idea is the worst idea in football since the Super League. I hope that if FIFA demands to go with it, that the nations will boycott the first two-year interval holding of the farce of a competition, maybe 2028. Just say that we will compete in the four-year cycle World Cups only, 2030, 2034, etc. I hope the U.S. Soccer Federation will do this too. Chris says, when it comes to the World Cup being held every two years, another negative effect alongside the ones mentioned by Kartik is the cost to host for countries. If it is held every two years, that puts more pressure on potential host nations to get their infrastructure together, uh, to have it upgraded in time, driving up the costs. Mm -hmm much more than they are currently. As we have seen with previous World Cups and Olympics, that investment hasn't always resulted in a good legacy for those, uh, from those events for those host nations and leads to things such as abandoned stadiums, large debts and displaced people long after the competition is over. I am in total agreement with you guys that this is a total cra- cash grab and one of the most disgraceful ideas to hit the game we love right alongside the European Super League. If FIFA really truly respected fans' opinions on this, they would not go through with it knowing the backlash. CPCVA says, I believe uh, FIFA arranged things with the World Cup back in the 1930s, so they didn't conflict with the Olympics. Now, now th- that now gets thrown under the bus. On the discussion of uh, commentators or no commentators for the games from the Bundesliga Second Division, Ra says, I would like to see all games to have the option to use natural sound only. I invested money in a home theatre with a football button just to enhance the crowd noise. For second division Bundesliga games, this should be a no-brainer. Dave says, last week was a terrific podcast, interesting topics, some reactions. Kyle, number one, great to hear your perspectives as a football fan, a soccer fan, who also follows a few major sports, US sports. I look forward to the YouTube project. Number two, I agree that uh, Rebecca Lowe is top-notch. In addition to the Premier League, she excels in the Mike Tarika role, having breadth and gravitas to host big events like the Olympics. Uh, Wiki says Rebecca's NBC contract ends in 2022, and I never considered her leaving NBC. Interesting, especially if NBC loses the Premier League. Number three, I stumbled on the League's Cup a couple of weeks ago. And enjoyed the second half of Lyon against Seattle. Hope to hear more, especially Kartik's thoughts about uh, how this could be a premier tournament. I enjoy games featuring Liga MX versus MLS. Uh, Number four, you mentioned player strain as a negative for the Wenger uh, World Cup proposal. I thought I read international breaks would be consolidated to keep an 80-20 split of club to nation while reducing long-haul travel. I take it you disagree with the FIFA uh, Wenger spin. 
Kyle, it's, it seems your, your fan club is growing here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Appreciate and, it. <laughs> and actually, then we continue. Matt says, Matt says, hi, guys. Hope you're well. Really enjoying all of the new content being brought from Kyle. He has been a great addition to the podcast. Number one, I am... F- Really frustrated still that Peacock is not carrying a gold rush, gold zone, red zone. Do you guys know what's going on? It's still not showing up on Peacock, and I don't believe I have seen it on the NBC Sports app either. Let me just interject and say that uh, it will be back. Finally, October the 2nd uh, will be the first uh, gold rush of the season. It's going to be on Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern on Peacock, and hopefully it stays. Um I have a feeling that Peacock has been trying to only use it when it's not going to cannibalize any subscriptions to Peacock. And I think what they're trying to do, it seems to be, is that they're only using it... I mean, if it's if it's a big game at 10 a.m. Eastern on Peacock... Um, oh, well, actually, actually, on NBCSN, they might be thinking, okay, let's have people watch it on TV, get those TV viewership numbers up and not have everyone go into Peacock and subscribe to Peacock and then watch that NBCSN game and all the other games at 10 a.m. Eastern. And then the Peacock numbers might go up, but then that reduces the viewership on the NBCSN side and then doesn't uh, satisfy the advertisers who advertise on television. And and I think that's the big issue. We, we talked earlier in this listener mailbag, and, and Kartik, you mentioned that too, as far as, you know, what's going on with NBC, like as far as kind of their strategy, it seems to be all over the place. I think part of it is that they're they're stuck with trying to serve, serve two masters, and the two masters they're trying to serve are the Peacock streaming audience, which is would be basically trying to drive, continue to increase the number of subscribers they have to the streaming platform, and at the same time trying to go ahead and serve the other master, which is the cable TV providers and the satellite TV providers and the YouTube TV providers, which probably tells us why there's this whole big, huge fight out anyway between YouTube TV and NBC uh, Universal is they're trying to basically uh, have both. They're trying to say, hey, all right, YouTube TV, you can have all of our uh, 14 channels, but we also want you to have Peacock. You have to have it together. You can't have it separate. Um, but yeah, it's it's a difficult time for NBC Sports and NBC Universal, where I think they're just caught in between trying to satisfy both sides, and it's impossible to satisfy both sides. All right, I will continue. Matt says, number two, uh, maybe an unpopular opinion, but Serie A top clashes are better than the Premier League top club clashes. So there, I said it. Always end-to-end stuff and always more open. Uh, case in point, Inter against Atalanta uh, and Lazio against Roma were great matches to watch last weekend. Number three, this is the most La Liga I think I have ever watched because of ESPN Plus accessibility. I'm enjoying the coverage of La Liga, but understandably, this wasn't a great move right now with Messi leaving. Seems like ESPN is gambling on the big clubs, getting some big names soon, like uh, uh, Mbappe or Haaland. And yeah, next season could be massive for ESPN Plus and La Liga. I uh, forget those two players, and, and I'm sure, I mean, uh, salary caps um, aside, I mean, those would definitely change the game slightly definitely 
Uh, number four, UEFA Women's Champions League starts uh, this week. Do you know if there's anything that DAZN will be doing that you were able to watch, such as pre-game specials, etc.? I'm quite excited, despite Chelsea losing in such a heartbreaking fashion last year. Thanks and great pod, as always, Matt. Kartik, uh, have you heard anything about uh, any of the uh, UEFA Ch- Women's Champions League uh, coverage from DAZN and if we can expect to see some shoulder programming or, or, or anything other than the games uh, free on YouTube? Yeah, for the for the playing stages, which I watched uh, one of the matches, the uh, Real Madrid Manchester City match, there was just uh, uh, the uh, the broadcast, which was actually quite good. But I think for the it might end up being very much like uh, UEFA Champions League on the men's side, where you have um, you don't have shoulder programming and all that stuff for the playing stages, right? But then once you get to the group stage, uh, you have that. So we'll see. Um, I, I was. Uh, really uh pleased by the accessibility of it so hopefully uh that continues and this is a three-year three-year deal i believe with the zone for for uh broadcast on youtube five yeah yeah so uh we can get used to it hopefully it's good yeah i haven't heard much about it though kartik i mean uh, other than when the initial announcement was made but i haven't seen much advertising i haven't seen any press releases i haven't seen many people talking about it um i'm I'm sure it'll, it'll take time but um there's definitely room for improvement there in terms of communications on that. Last but not least, uh, USL uh, topic here. This is from Mike. Mike says, I'm watching Phoenix Rising match against Tacoma uh, last week. And at halftime, they had an ad promoting the USL upcoming women, Women's League. What seemed like half the ads, the soccer player was shirtless and just in a sports bra. I'm not offended by the sports bra as it covers more than swimsuits and bikinis do. The problem is the fact of it. Uh, it, it was it was a men's league uh, that they were showing. I highly, if, if it was a men's league, I highly doubt that they would have a male player shirtless and they would have had a mock jersey on the whole time. Why does the USL feel that they have to use half-dressed women to sell the new league? Yeah, and that's a good question. I, I didn't see okay. the, um, the ads, um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think Mike's um, perfectly correct there. Yeah, that's a great point. I have not seen the ads for for the new league. I have uh, gotten the material from the league about the new league, right? The the, the uh, and it's going to actually initially be uh, applied for as a Division Two league, uh, which will put it be- below NWSL uh, in the soccer pyramid. That's I think subject to change down the line. My my own reporting, at least when USL was flushing this project out. Beginning about two and a half years ago was that they would eventually want this to be a Division One league. So let's see if that's still their plan. But not in my in my opinion, Mike. You're right. Not the right way to to get off the uh, ground promoting it that way. All right, listeners. So uh, if you want to uh, share any feedback with us, any questions you may have about streaming or watching games or uh, watching the beautiful game or anything like that, or if you want to send some messages for the uh, Kyle fan, fan club, uh, we want you to <laughs> have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And then just a reminder about uh, Kartik's article about the hybrid model between uh, American sports and European soccer. That's at worldsoccertalk.com as well as uh, we're going to also post the, the video too. In addition to having it on YouTube and on Facebook, we'll post that on worldsoccertalk.com. And that's the uh, the new interview series uh, called Soccer Show and Tell with uh, Kyle Fansler. 
and uh, and of course Carl's article next week about diversity um, in the uh, soccer TV coverage uh, in the United States. So a lot to look forward to, and and Kartik heading into another weekend. Uh, I think this is the, yeah, this is the last weekend before the international break. I, I'm sure you're excited about the international break, Kartik. There are some big <laughs> games coming up. There, there are some World Cup qualifiers. I mean, this. I mean, it, it, it is. It's it's going to be interesting, but it, it is a different. Uh, well, how, how would you how would you put, how would you put it? It's a different. Yeah, I I, uh, I I'm not as opposed to the I been opposed to breaks in the past. My real problem with the breaks now is that everybody matches during the break. So as we saw Chelsea, we've talked about the Chelsea-Manchester City match. The reality is Mason Mount was hurt for that match. Uh, Chelsea struggled in the first half against Aston Villa because Jorginho uh, probably wasn't fully fit. That's why he didn't start him and he had to put him on at halftime because these guys, particularly guys like Mount and Jorginho, who both were in the uh, Eurofinal, uh, are playing three mat- are, are that whose national teams depend on them are playing three matches during a shortened period, traveling all over the place. And it's really affecting, I think the play in club football. And we saw the quarantine issues. And speaking of uh, Aston Villa, Buendia uh, did, didn't start the next few matches after uh, South American qualifying. Cause he, he had been quarantined and, and Emilio Martinez missed a match. So uh, I think Emiliano Martinez missed that match against Chelsea. We're talking about. So that's been my real issue now with internationals is that they're stuffing three matches in these breaks and really impacting the club play in the weeks immediately after the international breaks. Yeah. Plus you've got uh, the South American qualifiers to three games in one week. And uh, yeah. you mean, and, and the whole issue still of uh, European, European players, um, trying to play those games and the back and forth oh gosh we got a lot to look forward to but before that though we got this weekend of football from around the world and whatever you may be doing for you mean whatever your favorite club is or favorite league or favorite nation Kartik what are you going to be doing and what should the listeners do enjoy your football Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.